Hello. Welcome on in to Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Listoki, and nice of you to join me today. Talk a little Penn State football. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, for those that you don't know me, I am Corey Listoki. I am a former Penn State alum, former president of Nittanyville, and most formerly the podcaster for Hardcore College Football. Um, if you're listening to this and only listening to this, um, you can't see my pretty face. So hop on to YouTube sometime and catch me in a live stream. We have that going right now on YouTube. So welcome in, everybody. And I already see we have Michael Higgins in here. How are you doing, Higgins? Thank you for the subscription today as well. So you can talk to me live throughout the show. It's kind of how we're going to do things around here. I mean, this is not a professional broadcast. This isn't anything fancy. Um, you might hear my dog bark from time to time. Uh, we're going to have a good time here. Uh, whatever kind of happens, happens. Wherever the show leads us, it's kind of your direction. So this is a two-way street. Really looking forward to getting to know you guys a little bit more as well. In fact, if you're on our Twitter, you know already that I have some uh, mailbag questions and things like that for you um, that you guys can ask me, as well as some of your best or worst takes. So we have some of those at the end of the show. Typically how I want to do things on Hardcore Penn State football, I would prefer if things... Uh, would kind of go like this. Sunday would be the recap show. So we're going to recap the game. Hopefully it's good news, but it might potentially be bad news. Um, yes, we might we might get Ozzy and Faden on the broadcast at some point. Um, but for now, they are not allowed upstairs. Um, it's funny for the dogs. All you have to do is um, put the brooms at the bottom of the stairs and keeps the dogs from coming upstairs. So they are upstairs or they're, excuse me, they're downstairs. I'm just up, upstairs and they have no way to get to me because they can't get uh, away from the broom. Um, anyway, Sunday show wrap up Thursday showed more of a preview show. So that's kind of how we're going to do things from here on out. Um, because of my work schedule, very high potential that we might have Friday night shows instead of Thursday night shows from time to time. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, right now, I'm fairly, fairly confident that we will have the Ohio State recap show on Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern. So see you guys there for that one. Um, that being said, because we didn't have a Sunday show, I think it's important that we kind of start with at least talking about Illinois. Now, I'm sure you listen to other podcasts, Penn State podcasts. I'm sure you're pretty much over the Illinois game. Um, but I think it's important that we at least talk about it briefly. Um, we at least you know discuss it because I think it's important to discuss that in order if possible how Penn State might beat Ohio State this weekend. So uh, I think it's important we start there and we go from there um, into Ohio State. So let's take one last look at uh, the Illinois game. Try to see if we can get um, our stuff to switch over. There it goes. Look at that. It should pop up in a second. One last look. The first thing I want to talk about is the fact that, and I tweeted this out at the very beginning, uh, James Franklin, 3-5 and five after losing the first game of the season. Those three wins come from Buffalo, Temple, and Indiana. And that Indiana game was 34-27, and they barely survived that one. So not that impressive. Um, and really, there, there, there's some serious work that needs to be done there. Um, there's no question about it. I don't know how they get there. I don't know what they need to do differently. Right now, Penn State usually practices on Sunday and then they take Monday off. I don't know if they need to change that up after a loss. I'm not sure what they have to do, but 
this has become a habit. And I actually wrote about that on Fourth Glory Old State on Sunday. Um, it, it's something that they have struggled with uh, multiple, multiple times, and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. So they've got to find a way. Because here's the thing about the college football playoff. If you can find a way to not um, lose two games, you're most likely going to be in the playoff. I mean, if you can find a way to just lose one game, if we could go back and Sean Clifford never gets hurt, and he they beat Iowa and they beat Illinois and they lose this Saturday to Ohio State and their only loss is Ohio State, the way this season's gone, they still probably get in to the college football playoff. But what continues to happen, you can go back to 2017 and 2018 especially, the losses to Ohio State were then followed up by losses to Michigan State. And although Michigan State wasn't that bad in 2017, they still should never have lost that game. Those are the things that are going to keep you out of a 14 playoff. Now, when you get to a 12 team playoff, maybe they'll get in anyway, but that's besides the point. Um, they've got to find a way to fix. It. I don't know what the fix is, but whatever they're currently doing isn't 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 working. So they've got to move on from that. They've got to find a way uh, to somehow, some way, fix that because right now it's just not it's just not working for them. Um, the next note I want to talk about is Sean Clifford does not he was not even close to 100. I mean. My girlfriend said that when we were watching the game, she was like, he's not, he's not even close. I mean, and that was pretty obvious when he didn't attempt a single rushing design run play. It was obvious when he took a slide instead of getting sacked for a two-yard loss. Um, Sean Clifford was, was not even more close to 100%, and I would argue he was closer to 50%, which is an issue, right? Because clearly, clearly with Taquan Roberson not playing, they have no faith in Roberson. And I've heard the rumors and I've heard you know the issues before where Roberson maybe didn't take it so seriously the last couple of years in his development because he had Bowens behind him, he had Levis behind him, and he thought they would never play. And so instead, he never really developed. And the fact that they would rather wheel out Sean Clifford on basically... 50% of his abilities over a Taquan Roberson tells me that we probably won't see Roberson unless Clifford is absolutely 100% ruled out um, like we saw in Iowa, which is terrifying because I thought, I believe it was Audrey Snyder asked the great question, I think that was on Tuesday, uh, regarding why not bring him in on two-point conversions? On a situation where you only need three yards, why not bring in Roberson? Give yourself a chance on a two-point conversion, like a single read, oh, look, Jahan Dotson's not open, just run. And if you get it, great. If you don't, well, we haven't been getting them anyway. Um, I don't know why that wasn't an option. I, I thought you could at least use his legs, um, but I, I guess not. And the final point about Sean Clifford is, okay, if he is limited, if he isn't going to be able to run around, which I don't think he's going to be 100% on Saturday. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But if he isn't there, then how do you win with him? And I think the, the most important thing they have to do is find the short passing game again. We saw Ke'Andre Lambert-Smith miss a couple blocks and the bubble screens. They've got to find a way to get the bubble screen magic back because they love going to the fake bubble screen, throwing it deep. But that doesn't work if you don't you know, hammer in the bubble screen game. It's the same thing with play action. So you got to do it both ways. And the short passing game really hasn't been there. Um, the accuracy really hasn't been there either for Sean Clifford. So, so those things got to cl get cleaned up as well. Uh, let's move on to the next thing. And that was the run defense. And it's easy to point fingers at this one. Is it the running backs? Is it the tight ends? Is it the offensive line? I think it's a collective whole. Um, they've got to find ways to run the ball better. 
the bubble screen in my in my defense I would say that the bubble screen game is part of your running game in those situations um, but they've got to find ways to do that they've got to find a way to open up a hole sometimes it's just a single miss block if you haven't gone and watched for the bloggies uh, film breakdown for this week although it's frustrating it did provide me with some closure I would highly recommend uh, you go check that one out because honestly there was some times where there was one or two blocks away or someone just messed up or it was that kind of evening for the Nittany Lions on Saturday so go check out that um, but the running game or uh, the run defense also needs to get better right because uh, they allowed 357 yards and when you're allowing that much yardage you're on the field for a lot um, we saw them come out in that jumbo set, and there's no answer for it. I mean, they, they stayed in their 4-3 lineup the entire time. Um, Ardon Ebukede was kind of left out to dry a couple times. Illinois did a great job, you know, sealing the edges, and then we would miss a couple tackles when we did have a chance. So credit Chase Brown there as well. But um, clearly we missed P.J. Mustafer and um, – Tangelo and Izzard did fine, I thought. But just, I mean, depth. I mean, if you're, you're giving up those many yards, that means you're not getting off the field, and that means, again, the play count gets way, way too high. Um, the final note I would like to say, and really this has more to do with something that we've seen throughout the season. I thought it was um, – I thought it became even more of an issue when uh, – when we saw the two-point conversions, and that was the third down percentage in the two-point conversions. I mean, they were awful, right? And I actually tweeted about it before the game. I said, if the big, if they want to make a Big Ten run, they're going to have to find a way to be better on third down, and they were not better. And, in fact, you can make the argument they were much worse. And they've got to find a way to, to, to convert. I mean, it's hard because you can't run the ball, uh, but they were four for 17. They only converted one two-point conversion. Um it's frustrating when you can't run the ball and you can't stretch the field when you're in those tight red zone situations, uh, but they've got to find a way. I don't know if it's you know getting too cute, um, but yeah, they, they have an issue. And Higgins had a good point here. Uh, the staff clearly misses Tyler Bowen, the tight end group. Yes, um, the blocking I think Higgins has been a is has been a huge disappointment. Right? I mean, we thought they would be able to to block a little bit better and. I mean, sometimes it's just hit or miss. Maybe if you get them involved in the passing game more, they'll become better blockers if they're in the game, if they're involved in the game. Um, and, and you make that sometimes you make that argument with the receivers. So maybe that's something you need to do with the tight ends as we can get some dog marking here early on. Um, but yeah, I think you got to find ways to, to convert. And I, the scariest thing is if, if Sean Clifford cannot – uh, find a way to be more agile, be more athletic, and be a running threat. I don't know how that third down conversion percentage goes up against Ohio State. And, and that's, to me, a, a big concern moving forward um, away from Ohio State. So I, I think that's enough talking about Illinois. I think you can talk about Illinois for a while. I think people are going to talk about Illinois for a while. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think we see them again in – uh, next season. So Illinois is not going away and Brett Bielema is uh, is not messing around. Let's see if we can get uh, get these slides catching up a little bit. I, I still feel like they are not catching up. So I'm going to do this real quick and see that helps us out a little bit here. So now you can see the rest of me. There we go. Here are the scores from around the league. I think it's important we, 
when we talk about Penn State football, that we always continue to talk about everything else is happening around us, right? Because if you get so single focused on just Penn State, um, you kind of lose track of things. And it's important to at least pay attention, at least, you know, think about what else is going on around not just the Big Ten, but but nationally. So Oklahoma State, I don't know if you saw, lost to Iowa State. So that was an unbeaten that went down. Um, that also technically bolsters Iowa's uh, resume just a smidge. Um, Oklahoma, again, close one, came back against Kansas. Caleb Williams actually looked mortal for once. Um, so we'll have to see kind of uh, where they go. Oklahoma continues to be in close games, but they continue to find ways to win. Wisconsin absolutely annihilates Purdue. Purdue coming off that big win against Iowa. Go Boilermakers. Um, but now Wisconsin all of a sudden, I believe they're four and a half point favorites against Iowa this weekend. So a big one there between Wisconsin and Iowa. And the Big Ten West in general is getting really close. You got Minnesota, you got Wisconsin still in the mix. You technically still have Nebraska in the mix, obviously Iowa, uh, and I guess technically still Purdue. Um, Alabama struggled with Tennessee a little bit. Um, obviously, they still have one loss, so they don't have much room for error. And then Pittsburgh, our friends to the West, took care of Clemson. I thought that was a must-win for them. I talked about it in the podcast last week, um, and they were able to uh, they were able to get the job done. So congratulations to them for doing that. And um, and now let's see if we can get. this up there and run it around um the next thing we're going to talk about is the ohio state buckeyes and i don't know if anyone's told you guys this before but ohio state's really good uh they are really good um and they're gonna we're gonna have to find a way for penn state to to get a win but i really don't think ohio state's offense is the weak link i think that's pretty clear um Number one scoring offense, number one total offense. Trayvon Henderson is a true freshman, and he's averaging 8.8 yards per carry. He already has 11 touchdowns. If they wanted to, I would feel pretty confident that they could just run the ball every play and probably beat us, to be honest with you. But I don't think they're going to because Ryan Day likes to throw the ball, and he likes to have fun, and I think he'd like to make a statement today, or this weekend, I should say. So C.J. Stroud is the quarterback, redshirt freshman, I know he struggled a little bit early on, but the dude has 22 touchdowns and only three interceptions. Um, it, it's worth noting at least that their talent in the last four games that they've played hasn't been extremely impressive by any stretch of the imagination, but but um, they're still winning. And honestly, the Indiana game was still pretty, pretty impressive. So um, CJ Stroud is looking better. He's making better decisions. And it also helps when you have wide receivers in Garrett Wilson, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jingba and Chris Olave. They combined for 97 catches, 1,500 yards. They all averaged over 15 yards per catch, and they have 17 total touchdowns between the three of them. In Jigba. I wanted to say that right. I was practicing it. I wanted to get it right, damn it. Uh, most impressively, and I think the scariest thing for Penn State, is they are third in the nation in red zone touchdowns, which I feel like... The best thing about Penn State's defense is their ability to bend but not break. Meanwhile, Ohio State's finding ways to score in the red zone. And not just score, but score touchdowns. So that, that's very scary for me. Also important to note, very good on third down, 57.69%. So they're, con they're staying on the field, they're converting, 
and they have the fourth fewest giveaways in the country. So offensively, they look like a well-oiled machine. We'll see what they do against better talent. I think if Oregon was healthy when they played them defensively, you could make the argument that Oregon has a better defense than Penn State. But Oregon was without a lot of people when they played Ohio State on the defensive side of things. Um, so I would argue that this is the best defense that Ohio State will have seen so far. But I don't really know what that means when we just saw them give up 357 yards on the ground to Illinois. So we're going to have to kind of keep that in mind as we move through things. Um, let's go ahead and talk about their defense now. Um, I think their defense is the place where maybe Penn State can, can make up some ground if Sean Clifford is healthy. Um, they're not as stout, but they're playing a lot better lately. Uh, the 18th scoring defense in the country, still 48th total defense, so they're still giving up a good amount of yards. Uh, 73rd in pass defense is the number I really wanted to point out because that's the one place I think Penn State can maybe make them pay. you got some good receivers at Penn State, maybe sometimes inconsistent. We saw them not do that well against man coverage against Ohio or against Illinois. Um, but obviously, Jahan Dotson is going to have to do it. We saw Denzel Burke, the, the true freshman corner, kind of talking some smack, if you will, saying, hey, um, he thinks he can handle Jahan Dotson. If he handles Jahan Dotson, I don't see any way Penn State wins this game. Um, but that being said, they're getting after the quarterback a little bit more now, too. Um, Sawyer's playing a little bit better. Um, Haskell Garrett is playing a lot better. He's got four and a half sacks. And all in all, the defense is playing better. But I think it's important to note two things that might help Penn State out offensively. The first one, they're 86th in the country in third down conversion rate allowed. So they're actually giving up a decent amount of third downs, which is really crucial for a Penn State offense that doesn't it seems to be allergic to third down conversions. On top of that, I think the other thing that gives me some hope is that they're 93rd in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. They give up touchdowns in the red zone 66.7% of the time. So if, and I've talked about this with friends before, if you can find a way to get the first down of your Penn State and you can get some tempo going, there's a decent chance that you're going to be able to move the ball on Ohio State. Um, one other thing I want you to pay attention to, they have a lot of young guys in the secondary. They're really good, but they're young. The one guy who isn't crazy young, or at least has played a good amount of football, is, is, is safety Ronnie Hickman. And honestly, they play a lot of uh, single high safety. And I'm curious if they're going to do that against Penn State. Because honestly, they probably could play too high and stop Penn State's run defense. Or run offense, excuse me. So if they decide to commit another safety to the box without maybe needing to... I think that maybe opens up the Penn State offense a little bit. Maybe you can throw the ball a little bit more. So I'd be curious to see if we start the game with a single high safety or if they're like, you know what, we don't really need to throw another guy in the box. Let's play too high, keep everything in front of us, and see if Sean Clifford really um, is 100%. So we'll see what they kind of do there. I mean, I maybe just gave the game plan away for Ohio State, so hopefully uh, they're not listening. L let's move on to the Penn State offense now, trying to find a way to stop uh, or, or excuse me, to score on this Ohio State defense. And I think there's ways to do it, right? I think if Sean Clifford was 100%, I think you could make the argument they, they really would. Um, but because I don't really know 
if he is going to be 100%, it's really hard for me to feel good about this. So let, let's let's break this down in two ways. Let's let's talk if Sean Clifford isn't 100% first, because I think that's the more likely scenario. I know Sean Clifford, I know head coach James Franklin has said that, oh, he's really close to 100%. He's the best he's ever been to being close to 100%. I don't really know what those words mean, but I don't think that means he's going to be 100%. And if... I don't know what percentage they would have given him for last week, but if last week was 60%, I would be very, very impressed if he went from 60% to 100% in, you know, six days. But but what do I know? I'm not a, I'm not a medical professional, but let's just say he's not. Okay, so if he's not, let's say he's able to at least maneuver in the pocket more, maybe scramble from time to time, but still the Penn State offense doesn't want to live and die with Clifford's legs, which I think they kind of need to do. Um, then I think it's important that they find other ways to move the football. And I don't know if that's really going to work, to be honest with you. So if he isn't 100% and they can't use him as a runner, because we were seeing read options in the Illinois game where he was just handing the ball off. Like, why even run a read option if he's going to give it even though he shouldn't be giving it? So I didn't understand the read options in that sense. And maybe I misread them and they weren't actually read options, but it seemed like they were. He's got to be able to pull it. If he can't pull it, I, I don't really know where they get the offense from. Um, I believe 247 Sports had a really good, because it's 24-7 Sports, really had an important part today on their podcast talking about if there's green in front of him, will he have the ability to take off and run for a first down? We saw him do that twice in Iowa before he got hurt on third downs. He's going to have to be able to do that again because Ohio State probably feels comfortable playing some man coverage on third and long. Will he be able to take off if he gets free? So um, I, I kind of think about a couple of years ago when Sean Clifford was banged up and Chase Young just chased him down time and time again. And that scares me and kind of gives me nightmares. So I, I don't know what to do in that sense if he isn't there. And I don't really know how you block for him. Because his offensive line, although they've been better in the pass protection than they have been in the running game, they still really, I mean, it's hard to defend or hard to block for a lame duck back there. So I'm not sure what you do. And then also the final question about that is what do you do if he gets hurt? What do you do if he's a little banged up and all of a sudden you're down by seven or you're down by ten? I, I don't know if you turn to Roberson. What do you – I honestly don't know. I mean, there's been crazy things thrown on. People have said, oh, maybe throw Tyler Warren in there because at least he can run the ball some. But can he throw the ball enough? I don't think so. Roberson can come in and he can run the read option. You just read option every single play. I, I don't know what you do. Maybe let Jahan Dodson be the quarterback. Give At least give the best player on your team the ball every single time and you hope for the best. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a scary and obviously bleak situation if Clifford is unable – uh, to be 100% and, and specifically in the running game. But let's be optimistic here too and let's say, okay, what if Sean Clifford is 100%? Uh, let's say he is 100% and he is able to kind of give it a go. Um, you know, what does that mean? Oh, and that, was it. that one was supposed to pop up a while ago. What if he is 100% and he is able to kind of give us, you know, a running game maybe not every you know what he was before the injury but let's say he can convert on a third down runs um, off of a scramble what if he can pull the ball sometimes when he's got a lot of green in front of him what if he's at least a threat in the red zone 
God forbid we get ourselves in a two-point conversion situation. What if he is able to at least threaten the defense? Because how many times has he played chicken with that line of scrimmage and been able to find an open receiver when the defense comes crashing down? It's a dangerous game as, as far as your body is concerned, but that's almost been when Sean Clifford has been the most effective. So I, I think that's an important part of his game. And if he has that, I think you can begin to see a way they can dissect this Ohio State defense. You have a young secondary. You have a defensive line that's playing better but hasn't played spectacular. And if you can get some tempo, you can get the tight ends involved. All of a sudden, we're just blocking a little bit better. We've stretched them out a little bit, and we have enough running lanes, and we can run the ball just enough to keep them honest. Then you can see a way you start getting excited. And if you get these this defense on their heels, I really think Mike Yersich might have something up his sleeve. But I think the offense is so predicated on getting that tempo, getting momentum, and getting going. If you can't, I don't know what you do. But if you can, you might actually have a chance in this football game. Because I really truly believe your defense is going to give you some sort of an opportunity in this game. I really do. Especially early on before they get tired. And if you can string a couple drives together with tempo, you might actually have a chance. And that's a good point. Higgins brings up a great point here. He says, hey, what about when Yersich was at Ohio State? I think it 100% does. And you know what? I'm not sure if coaches actually do that or not. But I'd be calling up Mr. Joe Moorhead at Oregon and say, hey, man, I broke down your film and I saw what you kind of did as far as getting out on the edge against this Ohio State defense. What else you got? Because I'm calling everybody. I'm using every resource I have. And if they need me to make the call to Mr. Moorhead, I'll go ahead and do it. Um, but no, I don't know how much it really benefits um, Penn State. I wouldn't say it benefits Ohio State just because I think Mike Yersich is such a freaking uh, crazy scientist when it comes to offense that he's already thought and been four steps ahead of anything maybe Ohio State's trying to prepare for. And honestly, what is Ohio State really trying to prepare for? They're obviously preparing for what I just said in the scenario one. Sean Clifford probably isn't going to be 100%. If he is 100%, I don't really know how you prepare for this team because, and again, I would go back to saying, hey, you got to stick with too high safety look and show me that Penn State can run the ball. Um, but I think your such might have something up his sleeve. I hope he does, optimistically. But I think it all starts with getting that first down. So maybe that's the key of the game, getting the first down and getting some momentum. The other question I have is, who's the lead back going to be? Um, we didn't really – I don't know if we got any sort of injury update with Kavon Lee this week. Um, I, I don't know if Lovett is going to be available. Ford, I don't think will be. Um, Kane showed some improvements, but I, I really think whoever it is is going to have to be able to do something. And they're going to have to do something consistently because if they can't at least – Keep them honest, right? Let's say you do stretch them out a little bit, and you're, you're trying to find a way just to get a couple runs, you know, underneath the defense. Noah Kane with a full head of steam, I think, has that ability. So does Lee. But we got to see some consistency. If there's a week for the running backs to wake up, this is the freaking week, isn't it? I mean, it, it's got to be. Um, the final thing is I think the receivers and the tight ends have to carry the load. Um, if they can't, then I don't really see them winning this game. And I, you can make the argument last week they didn't carry the load at all. And, and no one did, obviously. But we saw a drop by 
couple receivers. We saw just really poor routes against man coverage. It kind of looked like the previous years. Uh, they've got to be better. Strange obviously had a couple drops against Iowa. Uh, you you got to find a way to help out Sean Clifford because if we're trying, maybe it's not so much black and white of if Clifford's one hundred percent or if he isn't. But let's say he's eighty five percent. You got to still find a way to help him out. So that that that's as optimistic as I can get about the the Penn State offense against this Ohio State defense. Let's switch it over now and talk about the Penn State defense because although I think it's a scary thing and maybe it's something we don't. You know, we don't really know if it's going to happen or not or as far as stopping Ohio State's offense. I think there's a way for them to slow it down. And I think there's a way for them to at least give themselves the chance in this one. But it really all starts with, you know, the defensive line. And what we saw from the defensive line in the previous week is, is really not going to cut it, right? I mean, it's just... It's just not going to cut it. And I don't know why. See if we can get that off there. Maybe we can get that up there. I don't know. But I think the defensive line is an important part of this. And what we saw last week scares the hell out of me. I'm going to be honest with you. Because if there was one thing you could count on was this defense getting off the field. And so far, we haven't seen that from them. I mean, so far, we have seen them really, really struggle uh, getting off of the field um, when they can't stop the run. And and really, to be fair, even if you go back to the Wisconsin game, they struggled at times in doing that. I mean, they, they didn't really stop the Wisconsin running game that much. They were on the field for 95 plays. They were just able to get some key turnovers and, and kind of salvage them. Um, Iowa, I know they're on the field a bunch, and I know they made a lot of great plays, but there were still a couple drives where like, okay, why are they still on the field? So this defense isn't really known for just completely locking them. They're not a Georgia defense. But what they do is they make it tough enough, and then they make a play. But what I'm arguing is the defensive line has to do enough at least to slow them down to give our guys a chance to make some plays. If Trayvon Henderson comes out from the get-go and is just running up and down for four yards, five yards, eight yards per carry, which is what he's averaging, I don't really see how we can find a way to win this game. So they've got to find some depth. They've got to find a way to just basically nut up. I thought, like I said, Mbukede played maybe his – I know he he had a sack, I believe. Um, but Abby Katie, I think, played his worst game, especially against the run defense. And you can correct me wrong if he didn't have a sack, but I, I thought he – and they went after him. They went left side all day long, and, and that's obviously his side. And there was really no answer for it. So I, if Ohio State's watching, again, I, I think they could just run it all day if they wanted to, but I don't think they will. Uh, let's move on to the linebackers because I think this is the part – where Penn State has actually really tried to um, has really tried to match Ohio State's athleticism offensively. Like they've recruited in a way to stop an Ohio State offense. Curtis Jacobs, Brandon Smith, even Alice Brooks for, for a certain extent. They have found these guys 
and are trying to find guys that are athletic enough um, to play against Ohio State. And they're going to have to keep trying to – I don't know. The, the, what, the issue was against Illinois. It was they were just missing tackles or taking bad angles. They also got really tired. I think these linebackers match up better against this Ohio State offense than they do against an Illinois or a Wisconsin or an Iowa offense. So athletically, I think the linebackers should actually do better this week. Trayvon Henderson's kind of in his own class as far as that. But I still think they actually will play better this weekend. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. I'm also curious how they defend Jeremy Rucker. He had two touchdowns as a tight end for Ohio State. Uh, He had two touchdowns against Indiana. Will they be able to put a linebacker on him? Will Curtis Jacobs or Brandon Smith cover him? Uh, Or will they let Brisker cover him? I kind of want Brisker to be playing in the back more, but... I mean, I also don't mind Brisker being close to the line of scrimmage because of his ability to, to come up and make plays. So I'm be curious how they cover him. But I honestly believe that although the linebackers don't really match up well against Ohio State's massive offensive line, they do match up well with the athleticism of Ohio State. And again, as far as athletic linebackers go, you can make the argument this is the most athletic linebacking crew, or at least back seven, because again, um, Oregon was without Thibodeau. They were without Justin Flo. I mean, that this Penn State offense has seen. So we'll have to kind of wait and see how that goes. But I, I really think the linebackers are going to be key. They've got to tackle better. Um, when you do get a chance in the backfield, you've got to make the tackle. I mean, go back to 2018. I think they're going to run a lot of screen passes. We've got to make plays in space. I mean, it's one thing to stop a guy for a two-yard gain, and it's another to give up six because you missed an arm tackle. So I think just... Just making the first tackle is going to be huge. And if they can do that, I think this linebacking crew is talented enough to give to give this defense a chance to really do some great things. They've got to take advantage when they get an opportunity for interceptions. Um, I think that's kind of been talked about quite a bit um, by, this, uh, by Brent Pry and his entire defense. But I'll be, uh, I'll be curious to see how they play against Ohio State and how athletic they are. Um, let's move on to the secondary, and we will talk about what I think there. I think the secondary, they're facing the best receiving core they'll have, you know, they've ever faced all season long, right? And so you're going to have to find a way to get pressure on C.J. Stroud because eventually Chris Olave, who is probably one of the best ball in – the air receiver in the country. I mean, he finds ways to catch everything. Um, he's very much like Jahan Dotson. He worked out his craft. He's not maybe as athletic as Njigba or um, maybe Garrett Wilson, but he has perfected his craft, and he kind of reminds me of like a Chris Godwin if we're going to do Penn State comparisons. We haven't seen a secondary. Our secondary hasn't seen a receiving core like this. In fact, nobody will be able to see it. I feel good about him. I think Tariq Castro-Fields might be targeted because I think Joey Porter Jr. has done a fantastic job. Uh, Yair Brown has also done a fantastic job. Um, and obviously, Brisker is Brisker. So see what they do against Tariq Castro-Fields. See how much Penn State's defense leaves them out in islands. I think in a perfect world, if they could play man coverage – they would. I think it's scary to think when they go into zone, what could happen as far as past defense. 
The only other argument against that is when you're in zone, you can probably stop the run better than when you're in man. So it'll be interesting to see how Penn State and Brent Pry decides uh, to manage that. So again, very, very curious to see what the secondary can do. Um, I see we still do not have the right frame up, but what are you gonna do about that? There it is. Um, like I said, week one, we got some issues, but that's okay. Uh, let's move on. I think when you're talking about the future and, and what maybe um, what what maybe Penn State can do to win this game, it sounds maybe optimistic and and maybe not even likely. But I think if if they're gonna win this game, it's gonna have to be with their secondary and or excuse me with their special teams. My goodness, and I think the. Special teams, although Stout has played fantastic, is gonna they're gonna have to do something extra, right? A kick return, a blocked PAT or a blocked field goal, which they already have two blocked field goals this year. Uh, a kick return potentially. Something is gonna have to go Penn State's way as far as um, special teams goes. If they don't win the special teams battle, I don't think there's any way they win this game. So be curious to see kind of what Penn State does in that in that fashion. I. I don't know if maybe you go after the punter more. I don't know if you try a different, maybe have a, a trick play in the kick return game because against his pen or against his Ohio State offense, they're probably gonna have a decent amount of kick return opportunities. I don't know, but you're gonna have to find something to win the special teams game outright, and that doesn't mean just good field position because that's a point that I want to make here is they don't always do great against. Ohio State, even if they back up, uh, even if they back up the Ohio State offense, we've seen many times, even at Beaver Stadium, where they have been able to, Ohio State has basically find a way to get out of a tight situation, go down the field and score. I mean, 2018 is a perfect example of that. So I don't think just having good punts you know, from your own 40-yard line by Stout, they go inside the 20 is going to be enough to win this one. We've seen Ohio State kind of weasel their way out of those situations. Maybe that isn't the case, but if you're going to win this game, not only do you have to have great punts, but you have to have great defense from the get-go, and I don't know how you keep them backed up unless you can stop the run. But if they can do those two things on special teams, and I think it's imperative that they're able to do both, otherwise I don't really see them having a chance, maybe, just maybe, Maybe, just maybe, they have a chance to win this one. Okay, that's a lot of me talking. Let's get to what you guys kind of uh, asked me this week on the best takes and questions. Again, if you're following me on Twitter, uh, that is the best place to be to, to, to really find anything about hardcore Penn State football. Um, it's all the social medias are the same, at hardcore PSUFB. Um, we got a couple, couple questions, couple takes in here that we're going to get after. Uh, so let me get those going here. The first one was by our boy Higgins, who is in the chat. Higgins, thanks for dropping the question. What is your go-to concession at Beaver Stadium? You know, this is nice to talk about something else besides the actual game of football. I haven't been to a Penn State football game in whew, 2019 was the last time. So it's been a little bit. Uh, I would say that my favorite thing, though, when I was there, first of all, I want to say that the chicken basket is highly overrated. 
highly. It was good earlier on. I think they got a little rubbery as time went on. And the fries, I think, got even worse. Uh, chicken basket, not, not where it's at. I would have to say that the best thing was on a really, really cold day, and they had those really hot pulled pork sandwiches. I always loved those. I remember, I don't remember what game it was. I want to say it was like Michigan State in like 2017 or, or 2018. 2018, it's 2017, we're on the road. 2018, I think it was really rainy and cold. And I think they had those pulled pork sandwiches. I remember just like buying like four of them and just inhaling all four of them. Not even because I was that hungry, uh, but because they just were kept, kept me so warm. Um, but those hit the spot. So those are probably my favorite food-wise. I'm not going to say I honestly went out and tried a lot of things. I want to make a – yeah, 2016, yeah, they definitely peaked. They definitely peaked. I'm glad we're on the same page there. I want to make a little shout-out to the Penn State – uh, club though because if you for a noon game if you get there early enough they have a fantastic omelet selection there uh, so if you're ever in the in the club they do have fantastic omelets so I would I would highly recommend trying those out they always have great food in the club regardless honestly so maybe that's not fair I guess that's not really a concession so I'd say pulled pork sandwiches their hot coffee their, their hot, hot chocolate used to be better too anyway the next one wasn't a take, or it wasn't a question, it was a take. That was by Christian Cat. He said, Penn State will not make a four-team college football playoff in Franklin's tenure, but that's okay. And to be honest with you, I don't think you're wrong. Um... I think there's obviously potential for it to happen. But thankfully, we're going to get a 12-team playoff sooner than later, so we just shouldn't have to argue this too much. We talk about this a lot with Penn State and where they're going to maybe go and what what where, what where their ceiling really is. Everybody wants to beat Ohio State every year. Everybody wants to beat Alabama. But realistically for Penn State, I don't see that being the ceiling. I think it's just maybe a step below that. You are going to field teams that have a chance against Ohio State every year. But you're never going to field teams that are probably going to be favored against Ohio State every year. So the best that you can do is recruit extremely well, which Franklin is doing. And then you've got to not only hit on your prospects, but on your three stars that you do get, you've got to develop them really well. And, I, and for the most part, I think they're doing a good job of that, especially on the defensive side of things. I think they can do a little bit better job of that on the offensive line, obviously. And I, maybe they've missed on some running backs. I don't know yet. It, it, it seems difficult to say that they're doing well at the running backs because they've gotten five-star guys, and yet we, you know, Ricky Slade, Devin Ford. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and maybe Ford was technically a four-star. But my point is they've, ha they've missed on some of the running backs potentially, or they haven't blossomed yet. The final point is you have to get a quarterback that is – Generational. They had a running back in Saquon who's generational, and they were able to honestly have opportunities to make it in the college football playoff. If you have a quarterback, though, it goes a little bit further. And Sean Clifford, even Trace McSorley, great quarterbacks. I would not say that they were generational quarterbacks, though. And that's what you're going to need to beat Ohio State and maybe potentially get in the college football playoff. Because, again, they could just lose to just Ohio State, and there's a scenario where Ohio State and Penn State both make it in the playoff. In fact, I think this season was honestly a great opportunity for them to be able to do that. 
But if they're not going to be able to do that, and they're not going to be able to beat Ohio State, then yeah, I, I agree with what Christian is saying here. Um, Charlie Budney said, hey, running game woes, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he thought maybe it was because of Saquon being so good or maybe just a lack of confidence because Penn State has never had any good offensive blocking, and so they don't really honestly believe that they can block well. Uh, the Saquon point, I'm just going to elaborate quickly, he's just kind of saying, hey, they either expect to have that ability that the coaches do um, or that's the kind of ability they need to have a good running game, which I think both maybe is, is, a, is a decent reason. Um, yeah. I mean, I had to think back at the time. This is before Franklin, but when Penn State had guys blocking each other. So I think they can get better. I got to say, right now, uh, Phil Trotwin has has been a little bit of a disappointment. I don't know if Mario Leap was here listening, he would say absolutely. I want to give him some more time. If Landon Tangawal comes in and he doesn't really progress and develop the way we want him to, I think you have to kind of point your fingers and go, okay, well, what's going on here? Because the biggest thing that frustrates me so much is obviously the lack of running game and short yardage situations. But what really frustrates me is that these guys graduate, and a lot of them get drafted, and then they are playing now in the NFL. So what? It, where is the disconnect? Because something clearly isn't adding up right. I think we had one more late come on Twitter, and they said, what's your take on the new overtime rules? I like the old, the old overtime rules better. Yeah, so Tony, this is a good question. Obviously, I don't want to sound like sour grapes here, but I'm not a fan of the current overtime. I think the two-point conversions was dumb. I feel a shout-out to uh, Joe Hermit for having to uh, walk back and forth with all of his camera equipment. Uh, but no, I, I don't like it. I think the reasoning is understandable. But to be honest with you, I think what they need to do is... So when this all changed, it was because of the A&M LSU when I went seven overtimes. The final score is like 77 to 70. So then they said, okay, after the fifth overtime, two-point conversion tries only. Then for some reason, they decided to move that up to the third overtime. I'm okay with going back to the fifth overtime two-point conversions only. I, I don't know who it is, and I feel bad I don't have the enough to, to give them credit, but someone suggested, maybe it was Sean Fitz from 24-7, someone suggested starting at the 10-yard line starting with a third overtime. So at least you have to earn the touchdowns. And I think that's a fair I think that's a fair point. I think, you know, if, you know, something where they at least have to to score a touchdown instead of just already starting at the 3-yard line. But that that's just my take, you know. I'm not a fan of it. I know I sound sour, but I think most people were not a fan of it based off of Everything else. Um, let, let, let's get into the uh, the segment I'm going to call, I guess, for now, PSU wins if. And I think for the most part, I would like to keep this as a one or a two kind of thing. Maybe one thing. But I think because Penn State is so lopsided, it's not that obvious and it's not that clear that one thing would be enough for Penn State to win this game. So I think it unfortunately needs to be a couple of things. And... It's a long, it's a long list of things. This is the list I have. Um, Penn State wins if they win the turnover battle. I think that's pretty obvious. 
but more importantly, they convert 14 points off of those turnovers. Franklin said this week the biggest thing he took away from the Illinois game was only getting three points off the turnovers. And obviously, you can make the argument they score a touchdown on one more of those turnovers where they missed the field goal, they win the game. Next one. They can hold running back Travion Henderson to under 150 total yards of offense. I think they're going to try to get him involved a lot in the passing game and combine 150 yards. Additionally, and I think this is the one that really I don't see happening. Sean Clifford has 100 yards rushing. You can tell me right now, based on what you saw from Sean Clifford against Illinois, is there any way Sean Clifford has anywhere close to 100 yards rushing? I don't think so. But go back and look. When was Penn State able to really give Ohio State a chance? When they had some sort of running threat from the quarterback position. Hell, even when Will Levis came in and was able to run the ball effectively, that at least gave them something. So maybe I should take away Sean. Maybe maybe, maybe you can open this one up even a little bit more and say somebody has 100 yards rushing, whether it's a running back or a quarterback. I don't care. Someone has, Maybe it's Jahan Dotson. I don't know. But someone's got to have 100 yards rushing in this one. And finally, one big special teams play goes the right way for the Nittany Lions. And all the other special team stuff is, is at least nullified. If I don't think you can have one thing go your way and one thing go Ohio State's way and win this game. Like in 2016 when we had this, the safety – and then we obviously blocked the kick, so you know things went both ways. I think you need everything to go your way in the special teams department. So again, Penn State wins if they win the turnover battle and they convert 14 points off of those turnovers. They hold running back Trayvon Henderson under 150 yards of total offense. Sean Clifford slash anybody has 100 yards rushing, but a single person. I think it's important for it to be a single person, someone that Ohio State has to key in on. And then finally, one big play from the special teams goes Penn State's way. Do you honestly think those things happen? I don't know. I don't think so. But whatever. That's why we play the game. Um, let's get into the final part here. And let's talk about some predictions. Let's talk predictions here. And, oops, I threw the wrong one up. I did not want to throw that one up first. Um, well, give me, give me your predictions. Why don't you go ahead and give me your predictions? As you can see on the screen, that is my prediction. Um, but I'm going to give you a little bit more than that. But feel free to drop in your predictions in the chat. Um, my predictions are this. Penn State comes into the game fired up. I think James Franklin has done a fantastic job of getting this team up to play Ohio State every year. Ohio State fans, at the very least, can agree that Penn State plays them better than most people. Ohio State has never won five straight against Penn State. That's what's on the line this weekend. The last time they had a four-game winning streak was in 2016. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, Penn State will have some tricks up their sleeve. I don't know if that will be enough, but I think they're going to come out. They're going to do something fancy. Maybe some Bill Belton Wildcat with Stephon Green. I don't know. Um, the defensive line wears down in the second half. I think that's a pretty obvious one. Travion Henderson scores on a screen pass. I think that also might be an obvious one. I also think that Penn State ends up with less than 100 yards rushing. Hey, our honor, Defend, thank you so much for the subscription. I appreciate you. Ohio uh, State fan here, welcome in. Thank you for that. Um, I, I think Penn State, with sacks included, is, is going to be under 100 um, yards rushing. 
Ohio State will have a touchdown in the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then they'll maintain that 14-point lead throughout the rest of the way. Um, and as you see on the screen, I have Penn State 20, Ohio State 34. The spread is getting closer and closer to 20. It started out at negative, or excuse me, negative, but 15 and a half for Ohio State, um, minus 15 and a half. I think 15 is reasonable. I think there's a reason why Vegas put the line at 15. You get it up into the 18s, now you're talking about a potential three-score win for Ohio State not even being a cover. And what have we learned from Ohio State and Penn State? I mean, go back and look at some of these Ohio State-Penn State games, even when Ohio State had a much, much better team. Um, they, they, they found a way to keep it at least relatively close. So... I think Penn State plays well, as well as you think you know maybe they could, especially along the defensive line. But I mean, Ohio State's got so many weapons, and even if they slow down Travion Henderson, I, I don't really know how you can slow him down and stop the receivers on the outside. Maybe if you get enough pressure on C.J. Stroud, and you you know you get him a little rattled, you might have a better chance. But if he's comfortable back there and they have a decent running game going, I mean, I don't think there's any potential for that. So, again, they might win, but they're going to have to do some crazy things with the turnovers. They're going to have the big big special team play. They're going to have to control Trayvon Henderson. And they're going to have to find someone to rush for 100 yards in this game. So, I don't see that happening. Ohio State 34, Penn State 20. Higgins says Penn State 27. Ohio State 26. I don't know if you're messing with me because I'm pretty sure earlier in the week you were saying, no way, Jose, Ohio State's going to get blown out in this one. I know a lot of people have, Penn Staters have taken the Ohio State cover. So we'll just have to wait and see. As I spill water on myself. Um, that's going to do it for this episode or this show tonight. Again, guys, make sure to hit the subscribe button in the YouTube channel. If you're listening uh, to the, just the podcast, wherever you're listening, hit the subscribe button as well. I encourage you to at least check out the YouTube video. Um, I'm going to eventually throw more graphics up there as we kind of get this thing going. Uh, but I appreciate you guys hanging out for the first ever, uh, the inaugural Hardcore Penn State football show here, previewing Ohio State. We'll see you again on Sunday, hopefully maybe with some good news. Um, but either way, we'll be back to break it down on Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, but I appreciate you guys spending your uh, night. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. And I will see you guys next time. Appreciate Higgins for hanging out in the chat. We'd love to see more people in there next time. And uh, you guys have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye.